Emma. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. Um, you've got a book out. I do have a book out. I have a book newly out, at least a in book newly out. the US and Canada, um, which people can buy if they want to. It's called You Feel It Just Below the Ribs. It's at the bookshops. It's in the bookshops. But that's a... One of the two reasons why we're like a week or so or some weeks late with this one, the other one being that I had to finish a book. But now we're back. Now we're back. sexy uh, history. Answering your questions about history. What is today's question? Today's question is, um, oh, I've just realised I've forgotten to write down the name of the person. I think it was Tom Hepworth. Um, If it wasn't Tom, sorry. Um, But I'm 90% sure it was Tom Hepworth who asked, what is the history of alchemy? Which is a great Um, question. Which is a great question, and I plucked this one out because of um, because Rex Factor were talking about alchemy, and I was like, I don't really know what alchemy is other than um, the thing from Blackadder, basically. And um, there's a character in Hunchback of Notre Dame, the book, not the film, which doesn't mm. count, uh, who because <laughs> Frollo is a as an alchemist in the book. Um, and is doing dodgy alchemy, and it's part of why he's dodgy. Oh, that's why he's like evil, even though he is a churchman. Yeah, I mean that and a bunch of other stuff. But yeah, yeah, um, the fact that he spends all of his time like in a an attic in Notre Dame doing alchemy and attempting to create the philosopher's stone is um, part of why he's a bastard. Right. Interesting. See, I just know of alchemy as like the magical way to to make gold. And to make the elixir of life. And what's fun about it is that when I started reading, it just was so easy. Even though I was reading, like, just history about it, every time they mentioned someone doing it, I was like, oh, so it's real? Then? (laughs) This this one account of a guy, like, putting mercury and borax in a hollowed out nut and setting it on fire and it became silver. And I was like, great, done. Great, done. There was one sure. that I just read a few minutes ago about like someone in 1920s America who invent- who invented a philosopher's stone and fed part of it to a woman who had just died, and then she recovered and was fine. And I was like, great, no more information needed. This shit works. Obviously, it's real, but you Obviously have to know how to real. do it. Yeah. yeah. The thing that always threw me, and I think this is the thing that I really wanted to know, was turning metal into gold is one thing. Mm-hmm. So like turning lead into gold is the one thing that everybody i think probably knows um and then the philosopher's stone which gives you eternal life somehow but those Mm. things never seemed related to me like how why those two things Um, to be rich and to live forever yeah but why would they be like you'd think that they would be separate like one is about the body and one is about metal anyway now i know yeah why they link together right so the reason that they are linked together is because alchemy is all about turning base things into more noble things basically (laughs) um and turning um corrupted things into uncorrupted things so the production of gold in the philosophy of alchemy because alchemy is not just a science and not just a philosophy but it is both together um Mm -hmm. And it is this whole philosophy about the universe and about nature with a capital N and um, about how everything works together um, is that you can turn by manipulating the elements 
uh, within materials, you can turn base things into more perfect things. Mm -hmm. um, and you can do that with metals. Metals are considered to be um, something which grows and evolves. So there's like this theory of evolution in there, which is quite cute, um, where metals grow because they're found in the earth um yeah. the philosophy of alchemy sees them as a kind of almost a kind of plant yeah um, one that just grows extremely slowly over hundreds and hundreds of years yeah um so you start with a base metal which is what's created and all that's created from like the undefinable first material um of the universe which is the thing of no um what's the word like it, it's a thing that has no beginning um mm -hmm. and it's just the stuff of the universe um but it might also be mercury or sulfur sure uh, and that then gives birth to base metals and then over hundreds and hundreds of years they grow into more pure metals and more perfect metals of which the end goal of that growth and evolution is gold and you know that that's the end goal one because it's quite rare Mm -hmm. um and two because it doesn't rust it doesn't yeah. degrade in any way it's water resistant it's fire resistant um and it's pretty much impermeable it's also the prettiest one it's very pretty and you can also i think with gold like you can if you if you know how to do these sorts of things you can filter out all the imperfections because they separate like if you melt gold that yeah anything imperfect rises to the top and you scoop it off and then over time you refine it until it becomes more and more gold and better and purer and you know all of that but yeah and yeah. so because it is basically simultaneously beautiful and indestructible um and pure it yeah. is the most noble of metals so when the philosophers when philosophers when they were looking at um creating gold it was partly about creating wealth but also about creating the most pure thing and speeding up the processes of nature like this is not a miracle or something which is unnatural but it is it's a taking natural... the metal to the beach that makes you old yeah exactly it's not that and it's not doing magic in any way because this yeah. is a process that already happens it is just speeding it up a little bit using a catalyst yeah um and that catalyst which uh takes out impurities and fucks about with the elements um mm -hmm. by elements we are talking about aristotelian elements for the most part um except there's like different strands of alchemy but mostly we're talking about aristotelian elements which are fire air earth and water yeah each of which is has two properties so the properties are either it's each is either hot or cold or wet mm -hmm. or dry sure so fire is hot and dry air is hot and wet earth is cold and dry water is cold and wet sure yeah i okay. mean i've definitely i definitely would quibble with the air being hot but then i guess aristotle <laughs> lived in greece so yeah yeah i suppose <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and then each of those, so hot and wet are active and cold and dry mm -hmm. are passive. Hot and mm -hmm. wet are masculine, cold and dry are feminine. 
this is the thing where it just seems like a lot of Greek philosophy was people just doing <laughs> kind of yeah um yeah the current one of course being the the knows what knows what yeah you, very similar to that yes and um yeah so you have this and then they're all governed by the kind of overarching concepts of love and strife in sure. combined into all of that there's also a load of astrology stuff um which we'll get to but your fundamental understanding of the world is things grow and everything is made out of these four elements and these four Mm -hmm. elements have these four properties and you can change those properties so you can turn fire into earth by drying it out (laughs) i get i mean i guess I feel like that's a stretch, though, because then you're really talking about not the fire itself, but the act the item yeah, that exactly. is burning, which I guess once the fire um, is out, just kind of settles back into the So it's more like a mineral is a fire mineral, for example, and if you burn mm, it, then you can make sure. it an earth mineral, and if you have an air mineral, then you can um, heat it up and make it into a fire mineral, or you can dilute it or whatever and turn it into a... But this is all to do, like, you're manipulating things at what we would now consider to be, like, a subatomic level. (laughs) But this is, like, (laughs) esoteric and philosophical um, and also very physical. Um, So it's kind of hard to grasp because it doesn't make any fucking sense. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, it makes sense until you try to work out what the fuck you're talking about. But that's, like... An, an attempt to understand physics before we had any of the technologies yeah. we now use exactly. to understand physics. Um, and pleasingly, a lot of the like books and stuff I read who are trying to be nice about alchemy um, are like, and this does turn out to be almost true because if you change uh, elements for atoms, um, then you can change the amount of atoms you've got in a thing and or change you know how atoms work and you can uh, change elements into different elements with like nuclear bombardment and you can make gold by getting a bit of mercury and bombarding it in a particle accelerator until one of the atoms falls out um and i'm like yes yeah i'm not sure that's that we're not, talking about not something that they could have done <laughs> also like you can grow a diamond in a lab sure because it's just reassembling carbon but like not something that you could have done yeah. or had any knowledge that would enable you to do it this yeah they were definitely talking about something different to that but i appreciate that you have been kind um and decided (laughs) to say that they had a they had a grasp on reality but anyway so transmutation is the breaking down of a rubbish metal like lead like a shit metal that's everywhere Mm -hmm. that nobody wants um and then um rearranging its elements using fire and water um and based usually that those two um and um hydrating it and dehydrating it and heating it up and cooling it down in specific ways over specific periods of time um in by doing that you can reconstitute it as gold um sure then you have the production of an elixir which will when ingested alter the body and its organs so that the person will be healthy forever which is basically the yeah, same the thing. Dream. So in order to make the lead into gold, you have to add the philosopher's stone, which is like a powder. Which And what they're trying to do is make the powder, um, which always has to be red for reasons that we'll get to, um, that they can add to 
lead to make it into a gold and also drink uh, so that it will as mm-hmm. it in the same way that it breaks down the rubbish uh, elements of lead will break down and rearrange the elements inside of a person to get rid of the impure ones and it will break down your yeah. rubbish organs and replace them with and get rid of all organs. of your impurities um which is why homeopathy <laughs> is related to this <laughs> It is amazing how much of this is consistent with just wellness yeah, yeah, yeah. detox culture uh, as well. When you get into the looking at the medical side of it, a lot of it is uh, cleansing out your impurities. And you're like, oh, wow, okay, just medieval medicine, brilliant. Um, not even medieval, yeah. like well yeah. before medieval. Um, but on top of that, you have the kind of overarching aim of, um, of alchemy, which is that the quest for spiritual enlightenment and communion with God or the gods. Um, because if you can do these things with the, uh, with the philosopher's stone, which is not a stone, it's a powder. Um, just to add mm-hmm. some extra fucking nonsense to this. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Why would they, co- I mean, philosopher's powder does, does sound, sound a bit shit. I can understand that, like, them just going for the morale. <laughs> um, and they were also... You did have to coagulate it. Coagulation is a word I'm going to say more than I enjoy saying. Um, oh, that's terribly <laughs> um, So it is a kind of lump. Um, so when mm-hmm. Blackadder is mocking Percy for making a lump of green, uh, <laughs> he probably would have made a lump. <laughs> uh, but basically, if you have the Philosopher's Stone and you can speed up natural processes and you can prevent death and you can prevent disease and you can basically skip over time and then what you are doing is bending nature to the whims of a human and Mm -hmm. you are kind of challenging the will of god um and it makes you if you can understand how these things work and you have the control to do it then you are closer to god and also kind of semi-divine yourself um and so it is also a very spiritual practice which is why a lot of alchemy as in alchemy that you people actually did in labs which sent them insane um is doing things like having to have everything in very precisely the right place um yeah and having to do it at the right time of day at the right time of year under the right stars and involves a lot of numerology and a lot of astrology um because you have to be under the very precise right cosmological stars um yeah which is why also like sex comes into it sometimes and the presence of women is key and all of this other stuff that's just like setting the scene correctly yes so that it works and that's what makes it both very funny and very silly um and what makes it last for such a long time because basically if they were going at this empirically and empiricism kills alchemy basically um because it's like anti-empirical um and a lot of it is just repeating it it's like repeating literally the same thing at slightly different times of day (laughs) or uh, by doing some fasting beforehand or by just doing ever such slightly tiny different things um and basically all you do is you like this is all alchemy is you get your first material your prima materia so whatever it is that you what think is your first um Mm -hmm. mostly it's mercury 
<laughs> yeah, which is it's starting off on on the wrong. It's starting but... off on a bad fit, um, but also sulfur is a big one. Um, but um, one woman called Marianne Atwood, I really like this one. Just use the human imagination. Sure, great. I mean, yeah, um, you can do anything with some that. people. Uh, Isaac Newton used antimony. Um, lots of people use bodily fluids. So this, you have to come up with a philosophical, philosophical explanation as to why you think your your prima materia mm-hmm. is the best prima materia, which they do at length. Um, <laughs> then, basically, you uh, destroy it somehow, mostly by burning it. Mm-hmm. Then you dilute it. Uh-huh. And then you boil it up again. Uh-huh. And then you coagulate it into some kind of lump. Sure. All of these stages you add and kind of you do them several times or you add stuff to it or you take it to specific temperatures and everybody has their own weirdo process or the thing that you dilute it with has different processes and there's distilling in there but there's like these four processes um, which are based on the colour that um, alchemist copper goes during heating so everything is done in a copper Mm-hmm. Pot with copper instruments so when you because copper is a great conductor so it's it's, it it's going to bring the heat everywhere and when you're heating it up it goes black then white then red then yellow sure no then yellow then red sorry um, sure. so the first stage is called negrido which is the stage where it's black um, <laughs> and that represents the burning uh, and the death of the material mm-hmm. so the taking apart of the material the, the shitty thing is dying yes exactly and it's black and disgusting and dead Bleh. um <laughs> and if you want to relate this to medicine which they do um then this also represents like the black bile phase because you have sure. your four humors mm-hmm. um then you have the albedo phase which is the uh, cleansing phase which is when it goes white so now the material is being cleansed mm-hmm Albedo is phlegm, obviously. Sure. That represents kind of the beginning of the fixation of the Philosopher's Stone. Then you have yellow, which is called citronatas. Which is Um, presumably yellow bile. Yes, it is. Uh, No one, it seems, as far as I could tell, had come up with a good good reason why it would go yellow. So it's like a traffic light. It's like (laughs) red is coming. So those are your processes that you go through. Um, And that is basically alchemy. All alchemists did for fucking thousands of years um was boil stuff add things to it and then cool it down and then distill it and then boil it again and then cool it down again like that's it it's just heating and no like it's any day now this is gonna turn to gold and then yeah like when you look at the maxims like they're real big on maxims um like as above so below Mm-hmm. Um, solvea coagula is a good one uh, <laughs> which literally just means dissolve and coagulate mm-hmm. um, they just did over and over again <laughs> they liked uh, like initialisms mm-hmm. where the initial stands for um, a thing so vitriol was one visitabis interiora terra rectificando invenis occultum lapidum which is visit the interior of the earth and by rectifying you will find the hidden stone. Okay, sure. Yeah, they they love this stuff. Um, and it's all <laughs> nonsense. Um, pray, work, read, read and reread and you shall find is another one. I do um, I do reread a lot, so maybe I'm, I'm just on the point of discovering. Maybe. A lot of it is like 
just trying to make what is clearly something low-key nonsensical into something very meaningful mostly by being very obscure going over and over and over finite fine details again and again and again until it becomes the thing you want it to be i guess yeah so um we're just making it as complicated as possible Mm. yeah but a lot of that is about western alchemy which is a specific thing that comes from eastern alchemy but it's not quite the same because it gets mixed up with both esotericism (laughs) no not so much christianity sure the other thing (laughs) which is complicated because when christianity gets hold of a thing it's really like can go either way on whether it's going to find that thing evil or divine and it can change its mind on a moment's notice it does change its mind quite a lot but Mm. mostly they seem to be quite into alchemy um but it begins as a thing like the first people that we see um doing what can be considered alchemy as um trying to turn lead into gold and also creating elixirs of life mm-hmm. are um, China and India at kind of similar kind of time. Um, you start to see these things emerge. The earliest ones I could see were Chinese, um, but a lot of the books were like, oh, it could be China, it could be India, or it could be like the mm-hmm. two, like the, the two cultures talking to one another, basically. So it's kind of... But it seems to be basically the same time-ish that it emerges, that people start talking about them. And the earliest texts come from about the 2nd century BCE, um, mm-hmm. where people start talking about making elixirs of life. Um, amusingly, uh, the Chinese alchemists seem to have decided that they were really, really good at the creation of artificial gold. Um, yeah, it seems like they were doing it left, right and centre. They loved it. But then I was like, I'm pretty sure, like, I like looked this up and the only ways I could see to make it work with the particle bombardment thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, in a, you need a nuclear reactor or you need a particle accelerator. And I don't think that in 2nd century BCE, yeah. China, although very, you know, incredibly technologically advanced, don't think they had a particle accelerator. No, but it seems to be either, like, a combination of just... Uh, Obviously, they also didn't have, they couldn't look at molecular structures, so they couldn't necessarily differentiate between what we now understand as the element of gold. Yeah, basically, that's table, it. And other yellow metals. So it was really just making something that looked enough like gold to make people happy in the same way also, as like, they... if you wandered down to a, you know your local pharmacy and buy some cheap earrings that look gold, you know they're not, and you know they're going to make your ears get infected. But, <laughs> you know, they look, they look all right yeah basically they were creating something and calling it gold um it could have been anything they also could do gold plating mm-hmm. um so quite possibly they were just doing lots of plating gold yeah um but um they were doing the thing that um they that lasts forever which is taking mercury or sulfur boiling it up adding some kind of thing to it um mm-hmm. and then claiming that they had made gold yeah a lot, um, a lot of playing around with mercury <laughs> yes a lot um so anyway the reason that we know that they were making so much gold allegedly is that um in 144 bc the emperor ching ti banned the creation of artificial gold and said you had to get a license um which happens quite a lot which uh, does basically suggest means... that most of what was out there was shared yeah right? like absolutely it, like it please was, stop it doing was... it an attempt to regulate a, a fake industry yes um and they were like yeah please stop it 
Um, but they were also making silver, which was almost as good as gold. Like, gold, there's also all because the, of all this astrology stuff. The sun is gold, and the moon is silver, which mm. also relates to this masculine feminine situation. They hadn't, um, and they so, hadn't discovered platinum, I guess. So no, no, no talk of that. Nobody was interested in that. Um, <laughs> Uh, so creating they would create silver as well um and they're all um extremely um into very carefully making boiling mercury and adding stuff to it mm-hmm. um which they're very um very coy about what they're adding so you have this story from the first century bc about a guy called cheng wei who is a very um kind of famous uh alchemist chinese alchemist who says one day his wife went to see him just as he was fanning the charcoal to increase the heating of the reaction vessel in which there was mercury and immediately i'm like get out of the room just (laughs) run um but she says let me show you what i can do and after taking a small amount of some substance from her pouch she threw it in the vessel after about the space of time in which a man could take a meal which is anything from 30 seconds to two and a half hours um meal doesn't it yeah um and the man <laughs> she opened the vessel and said they saw that the contents had all turned to silver chen wei was amazed and asked his wife how she could achieve such a successful projection and she replied it cannot be gained unless one has the right destiny the mercury thing does kind of make sense especially if it's relating to silver rather than gold because you can look at it and just think if only i could make this solid it would basically <laughs> be silver yeah there is quite a lot of stuff from the very beginning from like the um indian and chinese um writings about how mercury in particular is um and sulfur so the mm. two best metals to be fucking about with, <laughs> uh, are um divinely created so if there is a, a kind of great material that the world that created the world that is at the core of the world that is a divine material um, then mercury and sulfur are it. Mercury, I can totally see because it's quite cool in an Alex Mack, secret world of Alex Mack kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, because it slides around. It slides around. It's cool and it's shiny even when it's a liquid. What's that about? It's so much fun. Don't um, touch I, it or go near it, but it's so much fun. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever played with sulfur enough to know. Sulfur explodes really excitingly in contact with water, if I'm right. It also smells... Me bad it does smell bad Mm. um they never let us play with sulfur in uh in school though so um but something about sulfur made people think that it was divine um, and and that was why it was considered to be close if you mix together this weird silver and and this gross yellow then maybe you get gold yeah yeah um anyway maybe they just like playing with it maybe it's fine (laughs) um yeah, they also have the um, elements thing, except their elements are slightly different. They have water, fire, wood, metal, and earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 125 BC, a book called Huainanzu outlines an elixir made of five minerals. Each mineral is the essence of one of the five planets. Mm-hmm. Um, and each of the element, each of the essences relates to an element. Um so the five planets are Mercury, Mars, Jupiter, Venus, and Saturn. Sure. Um, Mercury is water. That's its element, uh-huh. its essence. Um, and the mineral that was chosen to represent water was magnetite, which is a kind of iron ore. Mm-hmm. Sure. 
unclear what the relationship between water and iron ore is, but okay. Marge, you know, if you need a solid thing to represent water, I mean, yeah. unless you go with ice, it's all going to be a bit arbitrary. Just go with something that looks good. Um, yeah. Mars is fire, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that they chose to represent uh, fire was something called kinnabar, which I had to look up. And it uh, is a mercury sulfide mineral. Sure, bad idea. Which sounds very bad for you. Um, Jupiter is wood. Okay. Um, And the representation of that is malachite, which is uh, copper carbonate hydroxide. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, doesn't doesn't sound good. (laughs) Hydroxide never sounds good. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Venus is metal, mm-hmm. uh, which is represented by the mineral arsenalite, which is pretty much arsenic. Cool. Um, and then Saturn is the earth, which is represented by Rialgar, which is a bright red lump of mineral, which is basically a combination of sulfur and arsenic. Great. So you've got lots of sulfur, lots of mercury, some copper carbonate, uh, some arsenic, some more arsenic, and some iron in there. I, I like the thing is, if it doesn't kill you, it might make you immortal. <laughs> well, here is a description of what it is like. Um, <laughs> this is later. Um, this is from a a sixth century text. But here is a description of what it is like to take. Um, a Chinese alchemical elixir because the idea is that you mix all those together you boil them, you distill them um, and then you end up with your powder which is turned into a lump which then you uh, ingest and after taking it if your face and body itch as though insects were crawling all over them, if your hands and feet swell dropsically if you cannot stand the smell of food or bring it up after you have eaten it, if you feel as though you are going to be sick most of the time (laughs) If you experience weakness in your forelimbs, if you have to go to the latrine or your head and stomach violently ache, do not be alarmed or disturbed. Uh All of these effects, which are the symptoms of heavy metal poisoning, (laughs) are merely proofs that the elixir that you are taking is successfully dispelling your latent disorders. Oft. Yeah. (laughs) It's meant to happen. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, so basically, um, Chinese, uh, alchemy is massive during like the first, second, um, up to about the sixth century. Um, and then it starts to drop off and by like the 11th, 12th century, they're not really into it anymore. They've kind of got over it. They've moved on. Started to notice that just everyone dies. (laughs) Yeah. But they are very much more interested in the writings really in the elixir stuff and the medicine stuff because they thought they had the gold stuff down. Mm. Okay. So they'd, um, they'd solved gold and they just needed to keep correcting for um They just life. needed to keep pushing through the poisoning until they came out the other side. <laughs> <laughs> um, Indian um, alchemy, which is around about the same time um, and it kind of has its, its heyday approximately the same time as well, kind of like those first centuries um ce like seconds third fourth fifth um are really big and they are equally primarily interested um in the physical and elixiry side of it mm-hmm. um whereby they're not particularly interested in creating gold 
um, doesn't really interest them at all. What they're interested in, and it gets um, related quite strongly to um, Tantra in particular, yeah. is um, turning the base nature of the human into a purer form um, of being both immortal and divine in terms of creating a transcendent, undecaying, physically perfect body. Yeah, so the idea kind of that you can work through everything that makes you flawed, and if you do that, then you achieve immortality. Exactly. Um, And it is related to astronomy very strongly. Um, It's related to Hatha Yoga um, very strongly about the um, kind of pushing the body through different stages of development in order to create this ultimate religious goal um and also involves loads of shagging um yeah which is just a bonus <laughs> really pull the idea of um a uh, a bipolar world where everything is male or female um and so a male alchemist with female assistant who he can shag and the um connection of the male body and the female body and um bodily fluids and semen it comes a big part of it mm-hmm. um but it's all to do with creating um they love mercury as well so it's uh, a religious practice that involves drinking a terrifying amount of mercury <laughs> and then having sex <laughs> and then having uh, wild tantric sex yeah um as part of as these kind of erotic physical processes to create an, a, a transcendent body mm-hmm. um yeah so that's all obviously extremely fun um <laughs> But that bit, weirdly, does never really takes off. And it's because kind of Chinese and Indian um, alchemy, uh, the idea kind of makes its way gradually west, but the, um, the, the aims don't necessarily. <laughs> um, the West get much more fixated on the gold side um, and in how to make precious things. Yeah, um, that's and- not surprising. There's only Unless, so much you can loot from other countries. Yeah, um, and the um, because they then have they it becomes linked to Western Christianity basically, like Western mm. philosophy, which is purely Aristotle. Like um, it's all gets connected to Aristotle through um, Hellenic Egypt. So mm-hmm. basically, it makes its way into obviously through India into Egypt. Like this is all Silk Road stuff. Yeah. Um, and um, you start to see it in Hellenic Egypt and then in Roman Egypt. Um, you start to see these um, alchemical texts with people talking about things. And you have um, this guy called Zosimus of Panopolis. Um, That's a great name. It is a good name, isn't it? Um, and a woman <laughs> called Maria the Jewess, which is a less good name. Uh, <laughs> after whom, allegedly, according to Zosimus, the Ban Marie is named. That is fantastic. Isn't that good? Um, Because she is uh, particularly inventive in inventing different ways to heat stuff up. So So she was the first to be like, let's just make steam over here and put something over it and heat. Now you can safely melt chocolate. You're welcome, (laughs) world. Yeah. Uh, Well, I don't know if she was the first, but she um, was the person through alchemy um, she introduced it to heating up mercury and heating up other lumps of stuff um, mm-hmm. in like the first century AD, and then um, 
yeah, they got connected to her because she invents all of these different tools and methods. And then you start getting people talking about, um, like, it has to be this particular shape and it has to be heated in this particular way. So you can't just heat it to, I don't know, however many degrees. It has to be heated in this specific way, in this specific type of... Um, instrument um... it's, it's a very convenient way of, of framing this stuff because then it's just like well if it didn't work for you then you had something mildly askew in one of your many you know arrangements not only in your many arrangements but like if something isn't perfectly placed in your laboratory it isn't the right time of year your destiny isn't right your body isn't right you haven't because there's also all of this kind of spiritual stuff around fasting around yeah. making your body be pure about abstaining abstin abstention from all kinds of things um like because it is spiritual and it is about getting close to a god um there's all kinds of like you can just do the same thing over and over again and do it like one second later every day (laughs) (laughs) and this is why it sends people insane or you can be like i did this incredibly complicated numerological um calculation that said that i had to do on the eighth hour of the eighth day of the third month or whatever um and then go oh well maybe i did my numerological calculation wrong and then you've got another six months worth of redoing your numerological calculations before you can do it again it is Mm -hmm. there's always a reason for it not to have worked that isn't just the fact that it's not possible yeah there is always a reason and it one of the kind of fascinating things about how this goes on for so long and in so many different cultures and how people invest so much time and money because one of the like tropes of um particularly once you get to the medieval world one of the tropes of the alchemist and the thing that they all joke about and say is that you you have to be rich so that you can dump all your money into it <laughs> because it's you're never you're just going to cost you money <laughs> uh-huh. it's the um, of its time yeah it is <laughs> like it's just gonna it's gonna and then once you've dumped all your money in it like what are you gonna do go home and say mm, it turns out it's bullshit um <laughs> no you become an nft warrior on the internet and shout at people um, yeah. because you can't have possibly spent all of this money on something that's just nonsense you must have there must um, be value in it somewhere and god help you you'll find it and god help you you're going to ruin your own life to find it yes <laughs> um, so um all of this stuff that it comes through egypt um comes through um roman greek-speaking egypt gets mixed up with aristotelian philosophy and then makes its way into um the middle east and particularly into uh baghdad which we talked about previously um Mm -hmm. which as a center of learning and a center of um, all kinds of sciences uh, also becomes a center for alchemy obviously um particularly a guy called Jabir ibn Hayyan, who we have talked about before because he was a massive polymath who did lots and lots and lots of experiments, including alchemical experiments, um, and invented by accident white arsenic, which came to be known as inheritance powder, which poisoned the hell out of people um, (laughs) in high medieval Europe. (laughs) A lasting legacy this guy had. It was a lasting legacy, um, but he also, amongst his hundreds and hundreds of works, he had lots of alchemical works, um, and he um, had something called the Emerald Tablet by allegedly a guy called Hermes Tresmegestius, mm-hmm. um, who is said to be a priest who introduced uh, alchemy to Egypt during the Old Kingdom, or three people, including one person who's mentioned in the Bible, 
or all kinds of other things. He's kind of this legendary figure. Sure. Um, and he allegedly wrote the kind of the alchemical text, which um, introduced kind of fundamental text of alchemy, which is precisely 12 lines long. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and this is one of the most influential texts in the whole of alchemy. It goes like this. True it is without doubt, certain and most true, that what that which is above is like that which is below, and that which is below is like that which is above to accomplish the miracles of the one thing. You following? Because mm-hmm. that is, if you don't understand that bit, you're not going to understand any of it, and it's impossible to understand that bit because it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> because it's, it's nothing. It says nothing. It says nothing. That which is above is like that which is below. I... Okay. Uh-huh. That's it. That's all you need to know from that. That is the important thing. Um, I mean, how I guess you if you point upwards, that. eventually that line is going to reach another planet, <laughs> which might have some similarities to this one, which is the one that is below. So That's maybe. That's a very materialist way of looking at it. <laughs> um, but basically how you interpret that one line is how you're going to interpret the rest of it. And there are mm. infinite interpretations of that. Um, okay. Line two, as and as all things were made by the contemplation of one, so all things rose from this one thing by a single act of adaptation. Its father is the sun, its mother is the moon, the wind carried it in its womb, its nurse is the earth. It is the father of all miracles throughout the world. Its power is perfect. If it is cast onto the earth, it will separate the element of earth from fire and the subtle from the gross. With great sagacity, it ascends gently from earth to heaven and ascends again to earth, uniting in itself the forces from above and from below. You can see how this got create, like wrapped into Christianity. Yeah. Um, Thus you will possess the glory of the brightness of the whole world and all obscurity will fly from you. This thing is the strength of all strengths, for it overcomes every subtle thing and penetrates every solid thing. In this way, the little world was created according to the great world. In this manner, marvellous adaptations will be achieved. For this reason, I am called Hermes Trimagestius, because I hold three parts of wisdom in the whole world. What I have to say about the operation of the sun is finished. The end. I mean, it's a great way to finish it. <laughs> I, I, I have said what I was going to say, and now it is the end. I have been put happily. Yes. Um, It's kind of similar. Like You can see, obviously, why it would appeal to Christians, the idea of the earth being based on heaven etc etc but it also feels like it's related to like ancient greek atomic theory and the idea that everything yep. is just one thing and all that matters is how it has collided with other others that are the same to form something unique and specific yeah and we have the elements of earth and fire um yeah. and we have the one thing from a one thing arose all adaptation i mean you can take it anywhere it is a genius work of almost saying something and not quite um so yeah, that you can understand like, this is what it they teach at oxbridge however <laughs> yeah <laughs> um up to three facts that you can deploy at any time <laughs> in a um, way that makes you sound like you're almost saying something but you're not really yeah so Jabir's big on this he's also big on the now classic idea that all metals are created from sulfur and mercury which are combined under different celestial influences at different times um in slightly different combinations so everything comes down to sulfur and mercury so you can create anything from it as long as you are creating it under the right astrological conditions mm-hmm. um if you remember from the baghdad libraries of baghdad episode very big on astrology there um, mm-hmm. everything yeah. had to be yeah um, the laying of the first stone 
from then on, everything was yeah. astrological. He then also introduced two new ideas. Um, he loved numerology to a degree that makes you wonder how he got anything else done. Um, <laughs> Maybe he just had a team of numerologists who just like did it all Maybe. for him. Now, like at the end of every day, they're like, here are the updates. Yeah, so he loved particularly the numbers 28 um, mm-hmm. and 1, 3, 5, and 8. But his most favourite number of all was 17 because it is the sum of 1, 3, 5, and 8. Isn't that the QAnon number? Is it? I don't. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know enough about QAnon numbers. I know they love numerology. Yeah. Um, but I had to give up trying to follow them because you know that's, uh, that's too the only sane choice to make. Um, yes, he also added a level of new complication, which is the idea that metals can have two different elemental characteristics. Mm-hmm. So it can have an internal characteristic, which is hot and wet, but could be cold and dry on the outside metals so, famously different on the inside to what they are on the outside yeah exactly so <laughs> then now as an alchemist you're messing about trying to work out how to not just create in one single kind of elemental characteristic but two different elemental characteristics at the same time in the same thing um but he was not massively interested in actually creating gold. He liked chemistry. He liked like mixing things together to see what happened, and he mm-hmm. did that a lot. Um, but he That's was mostly. That's like chill. If you just wanna, if you were just like, <laughs> I've got these two things. Why not pack them together? Might do a thing. That's yeah. that's a better approach to this whole thing than like I'm going to find the secret to immortality by drinking well, mercury. On... As it happens, his main aim was he considered. Um, uh, he considered alchemy to be the science of theurgy, which is um, the kind of intervention of God in um, the mortal world, the material mm-hmm. world. So miracles kind of, or the right. communication between human and the divine. And and apotropics, um, which is amulets and the warding off of evil. Mm-hmm. So when he was creating white arsenic and doing lots of what we would now consider to be chemistry... Um, and creating all kinds of things in his laboratory, he thought that he was communing with God and warding off evil. Sure. Yeah. That was his aim. He also uh, wanted to create humans. Uh, So he was presumably very disappointed by every single experiment he ever did um, (laughs) because he never created either a fetus or a little homunculus. It's easy to create a fetus, though. You just have some sex. Yeah. Big, big bomb. Done. Um, and then about the same time, 8th, 9th century, we have um, Ab- Abu Bakir Mohammed Imin Zahira al-Razi, um, who gets really into alchemy and medicine. Um, and he is obsessed with the concept of um, creating cures for diseases out mm-hmm. of alchemical processes, um, which again is basically fine but it is like he's using the alchemical process of cleanse the metal reduce the metal dissolve the metal recombine the metal coagulate the metal now you have an elixir it began with mercury no one's complaining because they're probably dead yeah it is is a a, a worthy goal but maybe after (laughs) the first few patients have died you might want to rethink your strategy um, but I'm pretty sure that he, uh, we also talked about him in the Baghdad Library episode because he was also a very, very influential medical writer. Um, yeah, and it is yeah. these two writers that are really um, kind of take 
alchemy into the western world because what happens is that um same as with basically everything to do with western science um 12th century people start translating stuff that is coming out of arabic in um spain um, in mm-hmm. toledo mostly people get super excited people start rushing there and translate everything they can get their hands on which includes our chemical texts um and they read these and they go this is Aristotelian stuff and we've just discovered Aristotelian Aristotle again and we think he's amazing. Um, and so this sounds brilliant and we're really into it. Um, yeah. This is a really good fact that um, I found, which I love, which is that it took a long time for alchemy to really get going. Like they didn't leap on alchemy in the same way that they leapt on some stuff um, that came out of like the rediscovery of Aristotle um partly or largely because um a guy called ibn sana who was um another big writer wrote an attack on transmutation and the concept (laughs) of transmutation which got accidentally bundled into the end of the official translation of um, aristotle's meteorologica which is his thing where he talks about potential for transmutation um and as a result the um takedown of transmutation was considered to be part of the aristotelian tradition of alchemy in western thought and so they learned about it at the same time that they learned what how people had taken it apart right <laughs> um, <laughs> and that is the main reason why alchemy doesn't get into universities for like hundreds of years mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> which i think is great like that was just one decision for someone to bundle some bits of paper together um which has this massive effect on why alchemy doesn't really get going in Europe as an official science for a long time. Yeah. Um, um, you say official science. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like university science, because yeah. universities are going. This is the same time that like Oxford and Cambridge are being founded and um, universities are being founded as a way to teach people medicine and science and things like that. Um, but the alchemy does not get there until like the 15th century. Mm-hmm. Um, partly because everybody read it and was like, like we like this other stuff, but now we know that we don't believe this transmutation bit because um, Ibn Sana tells us not to. <laughs> yeah, which is not unreasonable. It's not unreasonable. Um, but had it not been there, they would have gone for it. Yeah. Um, and plenty of people did. Albertus Magnus, who is a very famous um, Western alchemist, goes right in there. Um, he thinks that... Um, it is about um, purging corrupt matter from mercury in order to create gold. Um, and he did lots of tests on alchemically created gold, but decided that alchemy wasn't there yet because it um, had not yet understood... Like, he could destroy alchemically created gold, basically. If you right. burnt it enough, it burnt. Yeah. Whereas... And therefore he decided that it wasn't yeah. proper gold. Um. And you do have people um, like Roger Bacon is a very big one um, who attempts to encourage everybody to get into it um, because he says that it could make us all rich and we could all be um, living forever and we're all fucking idiots for not doing that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Which, yeah, if there was a way to magically become rich and live forever and people weren't doing it, that would be nonsense. That would be ridiculous. And then he links these things to um, 
biblical chronology. So he says that um, Adam wasn't perfect because he didn't have the fruit from the tree of knowledge. Um, but when you look at Bible stories, like you have people who live for like 900 years, like Methuselah and all of that. Mm. Um, so he says we have these people in the past who were obviously living for hundreds and hundreds of years without illness and so they obviously had access or had a more perfect disposition a more perfect body that we have now lost and after the flood um, we have degenerated and we have degenerated over the generations until now we only live to like 60 years because we're rubbish we still live for 900 of of olden times exactly Um, and therefore um, we, it's because we've lost our balance in the elemental parts of our body and we need to get cl- both closer to God through the process of alchemy um, and recreate that balance through the science of alchemy um, so that we can restore the balance that we had at the time of creation, which will be the the balance and the bodies that we will have at the resurrection. Mm. So he once says to people, you can have the body that you will have when you are resurrected following the apocalypse yeah sure yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, that makes sense achieving your heavenly body while you are still on earth exactly and it all links very nicely it really easily slots into largely because obviously a lot of christian um rhetoric and christian theology comes from greek philosophy um, and so does a lot of this kind of stuff it all links together um but the process of um the process of philosophy of alchemy um of the death of the agent then the cleansing of the agent then the resurrection of the agent in a more perfect form mm. um obviously is very easily linked to the death and resurrection of christ yeah um and is very easily linked to the idea of an eternal afterlife um that we can have and so it works very neatly all together into um a a philosophy that becomes a theology right yeah um and can be connected and this is why the church never really has a problem with it unless you're super heretical which some people are um there's a guy who is very very important in the 17th century so it reaches this massive peak basically in the late 16th early 17th century it takes ages to get going um and you see this odd one around all over europe um mostly as physicians so they're mostly in medical places um Mm. but um it reaches this massive peak in the 16th 17th century when physical sciences are really start to get going um sure when that makes sense yeah (laughs) when there's all these massive catastrophes um in like the 1560s like um massive um like environmental catastrophes and things like that um and also um the emergence of scientific societies uh like the at the same time you get academica natura curiosorum um Mm -hmm. in 1652 in germany the royal society of london for improving natural knowledge um in 1660 and the Académie Royale des Sciences in Paris in 1666. Um, and they are all alchemical, basically. Um, <laughs> and the English one, the Royal Academy, um, are really into a thing called uh, Paracelsian medicine, um, who are drawing off of a guy who is known as Paracelsus or Paracelsus, um, <laughs> who is a, a physician 
German physician, but whose real name is so much better than Paracelsus. His real name is Philip Theophrastus Bombast von Hohenheim. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Where does Paracelsus come from, or Paracelsus? Um, or Celsus is a uh, Roman doctor, a Roman physician, so uh-huh. he's like alongside Celsus, basically. Okay, sure. Um, so it's because he's he's very very important in the history of medicine and the history of um of alchemy because he um travels around and bases his cures on um four pillars he says he has all these writings where he says he has four pillars the first is philosophy which mm-hmm. is the um total mastery of air and water of earth and water, sorry. Oh, sure. Um, That's philosophy, yeah. Total mastery yeah. of water. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Um, <laughs> astrology, which is the master mastery of air and fire. Mm-hmm. Alchemy, which is the experimentation and preparation of the elements. Mm-hmm. And personal virtue. Sure. Which is just so you, be, being a good dude. Being a good dude, yeah. So you need to um, have all of those things in order to be a good doctor. Um, And then he uses alchemical processes. So basically he has this philosophy, he has astrology, he has being a good dude, and then at the centre, like, the practical part is alchemy. Um, And do you want to hear his description of how you can make a tree made of gold? Yes, absolutely. I'm assuming this is something I can do myself. Definitely, yes. Yeah. As long as you know what one of these things is. <laughs> uh, so, calcine gold with aqua regis until it turns into a chalk. Okay, sure. Yep. Uh, so that's step one. I am fucked already uh, because <laughs> I don't know what calcine means. No, neither so, do I. Um, step one, I'm gone. Um Aqua Regis is nitric acid and hydrochloric acid. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> so two I mean, things you probably don't want to play with yet again. Yeah. Okay, you put this in a gourd-shaped glass. Uh-huh. So your, your chalk-fied gold um, into a, a gourd-shaped glass. And Does then it matter pour... which gourd it's shaped, which sort of gourd it's, it's shaped like? It doesn't say, it just says okay. gourd-shaped. I suspect it does, and you might need to do some numerology about it. <laughs> uh-huh. Pour fresh aqua regis over it. Mm-hmm. Then boil the water off until the third degree of fire. What is the third degree of fire? I think it might be the yellow stage, but that's guesswork. Okay, sure, yeah, that makes sense. Then you cool it and distill water through what is left over. Mm-hmm. Then you pour that distilled water over, boil it, cool it, distill it again. Mm -hmm. And you keep doing that over and over again until the gold starts to grow like a shrub. Sure, sure. I mean, admittedly, I do not know how we're starting with that because I don't know what calcine is, but um, I am sceptical that it will work. This feels like one of those things where it might mean that, like, the gold that you started with, which you did start with gold. Um, so you're making gold grow, basically. Yeah, exactly. You're making mm. it kind of multiply in a tree. Like, sort of, like it might, if you mess about with it long enough with whatever the hell, with hydrochloric acid, then it might start to kind of turn into filamenty kind of things. Um, sure. 
but I don't think it's going to grow into a big tree just because no. that doesn't seem likely. Um, but there were stories about him that he, um, when he had run out of money, he purchased a pound of mercury. How could he, then... he run out of money? He knew how to grow gold trees. Well, this is the thing. You see, he was running out of money, so he spent his last um, gilder on a mm-hmm. pound of mercury. Um, quite where... I'm disturbed by the idea that you might be able to just nip out and buy a pound of mercury. Yeah, down the shop for some mercury. Yeah. Um, and he's travelling around as well, so who knows where he's getting the stuff. But he nipped down the shop for a pound of mercury, um, <laughs> put it in a crucible, uh, mm-hmm. heated it, cooled it up. Once it was cooled down, he opened the pot and everyone was amazed that he had created solid gold, um, which he then took to a goldsmith and the goldsmith certified it as genuine and then he was rich again. Because he'd made gold from yeah. Mercury. Or because yeah. he then he charged a lot of people to do something. I mean, my suspicion is that he then charged a lot of people to do something. <laughs> um, but he is, like, his theory of medicine um, is unbelievably influential in Europe. Like, this theory that you have to have these pillars, this theory of um, elements and um and scientific experimentation which is alchemical um, and that you can basically this notion of again purifying out the impurities of the body so that you, that's how you cure people yeah um, by once again making them i suspect vomit a lot yeah um or do yeah. a lot of diarrhea one or the yeah. other either or you're just purging it <laughs> get stuff out yeah um so he's incredibly famous um but he is also quite heretical um because he links alchemy to um to christ in ways that make people uncomfortable so he calls the philosopher's stone the christ of nature and christ the philosopher's stone of the spirit oh sure yeah Uh, that's gonna upset people (laughs) and then he says that the uh, christ is the spiritual mercury of the universe because he um is the uh the mercury is the go between the intermediate stage and christ is the go between between heaven and earth Mm. And he also introduces um, a third kind of beginning element or beginning material. So the sulfur and mercury have been going for centuries. And um, uh, I'm just going to call him Phil. Um, (laughs) Phil introduces um, salt as the third one, which really takes hold. um, But also means that he can do things like, say, mercury, sulfur and salt are the mind, the body and the soul. Um, They are the three of the... Um, of of the Trinity, da, 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 da. Right. Um, and all of that makes people kind of the kind of people who, in the like sixteen tens, are not mad keen on people. Yeah, like they're stroppy about that kind of thing. Yeah, they don't like it. Um. So, but that but just I makes think, them more I feel famous. Like it's mainly like the sort of fear about people making those sorts of statements about the soul and about Christ and whatever is that I feel like a, like like faith relies on things being unknowable and if someone yeah. comes along and is like this is it then that upends the whole system and also I can do it yeah. um like Christ is the the philosopher's stone is the Christ of nature it's fine until you say and also I've got one yeah, um, and I can use it then you're like are you telling me that you've got Christ in that box because yeah. now that's not true um and a lot of this does is like the the takeoff of alchemy in Europe is 
inherently linked to the Reformation and the takeoff of Protestantism, which is why it takes off primarily in Protestant countries, in Germany and in um, the Netherlands and in England. Which is um, so fun because, like, the whole thing with the Reformation and the the development of the Protestant Church as opposed to the Catholic Church is that there was this suspicion of pageantry and wealth and, it, you know, you were supposed to be austere and be a bit miserable and that's what being a good Protestant was. <laughs> and it's interesting and reve- revealing, I think, that at the same time as that's happening, everyone is like, I need, I need to believe that I can turn lead to gold. I need some magic in my life. Ah, but you have... Um... One, the alchemy, because it is about um, understanding God. Protestantism is much more open to a pe- like the concept of a person understanding God rather than just a priestly caste understanding yes. God. Yes, um, and that, that, that there is a... You are personally responsible for your own relationship to... Yeah. And um, in the 16th century, um, transmutation particularly comes to be seen as a gift given by God, the Donum Dei. Um, to make manifest the secrets of the world and the secrets of the universe and the secrets of nature and that this is something that has been given um, and the fact that it is possible is proof of God Yeah, it's not possible and nobody ever achieves it but um, they like that <laughs> idea and that is what Newton's like real big thing is um, because Newton is around at the end of the 17th century um, and he is very big into alchemy and he is into it not because it's scientific he that's kind of it's interesting to him but it's kind of separate but because it is theological because the concept of it being a gift from god and that if you can um convert lead into gold if you can do it then it is or he starts with antimony um then you that's proof of God as a spirit. That's proof of God existing in the world. That is, um, it is a proof of God's benevolence. Um, and he is an oddball, yeah. um, and he does a lot. But he is kind of, and like the thing that motivates him to stay up all night, going slightly mad, poking at Mercury, <laughs> um, is this <laughs> idea that if he can do it, it will be a physical proof that God exists in the world. Um, and yeah. that is like so important to him and so important to a lot of um, a lot of the kind of 15th, 16th century particularly um, alchemists so Nicholas Flamel is the other one who always comes up so I'm going to mention him kind of last um, because he is mm-hmm. he's, I know we've avoided talking about it all this time but he's the one who's in Harry Potter so I feel like he's the one that is People are going to know the yeah, name of. Know. So he is a real historical yeah. figure. He is a French scribe who lived in the 14th century um, and may or may not have um, written this book uh, called The Exposition of um, Hieroglyphs, which is a series of kind of alchemical figures and drawings um, which represent the seven mm-hmm. stages of an alchemical process. Um I've kind of simplified it down to four for this because all of them have four, but they are between four and 12, depending on who you ask. Sure. Um, but he um, may or may not, because he's kind of quote-unquote rediscovered in the 1600s, um, and this book is rediscovered and his name is attached to it. He might have just been a lad who was in France who didn't do anything ever, just lived a nice life. 
um but he might have been this guy who wrote this book um and it fuses all of this biblical imagery um with the processes of alchemy um so like stage one is um two dragons um who are blending together in order to make a blackness um and so the dragons are like the fire which destroys and then it has all of this stuff about saint paul and angels um and um yeah just a lot of biblical drawings basically which are then supposed to represent um represent the stages um yeah yeah Yeah. and that becomes really important because um the other thing that alchemists really like which makes them simultaneously quite frightening and quite cool and why they are now um kind of really connected to occult and esoteric stuff um is that they really Mm. like things to be as obscure as fuck um like (laughs) partly this is because they didn't want anybody else knowing their secrets like if you discover how to make gold or how to make a thing then that's worth something and you don't want anybody else to know about it so they wrote in like weird codes and they wrote in deliberately like allegorical it's again it's the nfts of its time it's like if this had real value we could give some to everyone and maybe not all be drowning in late stage capitalism but so we've got to manufacture value by creating scarcity where there previously yes. was no uh, scarcity. pretty much um mm. and um yeah. they say that they're concealing secrets openly by using um like coded language and everything is um under layers and layers of of complexity the word gibberish mm. uh, comes from this because um it was a word that um, was developed to sh- talk about how incomprehensible Jabir was to so many people. <laughs> so uh, as something that was hard to understand or not like that felt nonsensical was said to be like Jabir or gibberish. Uh, <laughs> um, and so there's lots of wordplay, lots of allegory, lots of drawings, lots of... Um, uh, they really liked using little symbols to represent things um, that you then have to know what all of the frickin' symbols mean. <laughs> um, so it's all very, very hard <laughs> to read. And that um, means that everybody um, thinks that they're extremely cool, uh, but also extremely dangerous because no one understands what the fuck they are talking about. <laughs> Um, yeah. I, and when they do say something, it is obviously nonsensical. Um, yeah, because it's, yeah. it's nothing. Because um, there's nothing. Newton is kind of the yeah. the end of science. He represents the ending of scientific um, alchemy because philosophical conversations are moving on from Aristotle, basically. Um, and sciences are emerging, which are... Um, and, like, the use of lenses, for example. So microscopes are developing and um, things are becoming more empirical. So you have conversations about empirical science and testing yeah. and um, these philosophical conversations which develop into what we now call science um, are eroding away at um, science which includes a theology um and 
it takes yeah. obviously a long time for it to erode away and for it to become a thing which is where people think that it's hilarious. like if you turned up in a laboratory and were like so i think that we can see through we can see that god exists if we can turn this lump of mercury into gold then people would be like we should tell the police uh, <laughs> i mean people do turn up and do that all the time but it is interesting to think that this all like science really started as part of theology and it's really comparatively yeah. recently that they've been separate like only the last couple hundred years it's interesting i think if we all just understand that it's philosophy then it's all okay it in is. the end it all comes down to philosophy the more the older i get the more i feel this <laughs> it's all ontology in the end um yeah and now alchemy is very much a like alistair crowley was into it um there is this whole strand to do with the rosicrucians um the order of the the um, Rosie Cross, who still exist and are a thing, and there was a Reddit AMA, AMA, AMA AITA mm-hmm. the other day about Rosicrucians, which I found hilarious. Um, and they are very linked to the like history of European <laughs> alchemy. But if we start, then we're here for the next six hours. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, it never it never really went away. It just became part of um, generalized, dismissed things like the you know the yeah the. 20th century obsession with the occult there were there were alchemists who who were hired by the nazis in the 1920s and 30s and then uh had to flee in disgrace when they didn't (laughs) like um franz tucent who who just they hired him and gave him lots of money and he just spent it on booze and stuff um but yeah they're 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 around they've never quite gone away they're still around you're just more likely to see them on the weirdo end of the history channel um, yeah and there are a lot of accounts that are just like this person said that they did this thing and there's no other record of it there's no one else has talked about it um so oh, so that's classic alchemy somebody's saying yeah i created this thing can i see it now yeah yeah um, i bought i i extended this person's life by 20 years with my philosopher's stone i do not that's all i've got that's you just have got. to believe me yeah um yeah and mostly when you look at like apart from you have two types of alchemists throughout history as I tell which is ones who claim to have been able to do everything and wrote also wrote a hundred books on it mm-hmm. um and ones who claim to be able to do it and got thrown in prison by a king because it turns out that they couldn't um who had the um, amazing gift of the gab and could turn up to like Edward the third and give you eternal life and I can give you uh, an entire you know treasury full of gold if you just give me 500 cold crowns first um and then failing to do anything with it which is what happened to a guy called john de walden who then got thrown into prison for basically stealing 500 cold crowns (laughs) um the oldest profession in the world con artist yeah um and in fact the first mention the first mention of um alchemy in the whole of the western literature the first written mention is from 1050 ce um and it is a mention of a guy uh, a jewish guy from byzantium called paul who pretends to be able to make gold and gets thrown in prison for it beautiful yeah, yeah. um so yeah so that's the history of alchemy it's long it's complicated um and it is hilarious <laughs> <laughs> But you can totally see how it would send people mad. Like, one, you're fucking about with Mercury, and that definitely sends your brain wonky. 
yeah. and heating it up a lot. And two, like there's just so many ways in which you can turn a very simple thing into something very complicated. My brain was soup before I started thinking about alchemy. <laughs> am, am I going to have to text you every so often and be like, please don't boil mercury? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I can't go and get some from the Tesco metro that's outside my flat, so I don't know where I would even start with that. No, or any sulfur. Raider secondary school science lab <laughs> um right next time we are answering the question of loy bergenhaus who says what is the history of petra um yeah. which are the ancient uh, city carved into the cliffs of jordan so that yeah. will be exciting it'll be very exciting yeah less philosophy that time yeah yeah but there's always a little bit because everything is philosophy everything is ontology in the end yeah <laughs> i'm gonna put this on a t-shirt <laughs> um okay if you want to ask us a question then you can we are um www.historyissexy.com there we have a contact form there or we are history is pod on twitter and you can um send us a tweet um we have merch there you can buy us a coffee if you would like to buy us a coffee uh, which we appreciate very much um yeah. anything else by Janina's um, book. It's extremely yeah. good. I enjoyed it very much. You um, can't buy Emma's book yet, but when it is out, do. Yeah. Um, buy my previous ones. My um, colleague just texted me to say she's really enjoying it, so I'm sure she wouldn't like to. <laughs> <laughs> um, and until next time, Janina. Bye. Bye. <laughs>